Lord, we're just so thankful that you're a God who is present. You're not a God who's removed ever at any time. You're a God who is everywhere all the time, and so all over the world, all over in this town of Woodbury, Lord, saints are gathering together in your name and worshiping you, and you're just as present there as you are here with us, and um, it's just absolutely amazing, God, that, uh, that we um, get to experience your closeness, closeness and your nearness in our life all the time. You're always here. We just praise you for that. We thank you for that, God. You're such a good God. You're so loving and gracious and merciful, God. As we celebrated already this morning, you have, um, you have delivered us in Jesus Christ from the bondage of our sin. And you have set our trajectory in a new, a new way, a new direction, God, where you now help us in this new way of life, of freedom and joy in our salvation. God, may we run down that path. May we uh, enjoy every minute of living in the light and never, and never for a second um, desire the shadows again, Lord. And when we do, and if and when we do, God, we know that we will at times um, be tempted back to the shadows of life. God, may we just see your glorious light shining brightly. And um, may we just be completely uh, overwhelmed by that, God, and continue to walk with you. So today, as we look at Galatians, Lord, I just pray that you'd speak, you would move, and um, you, would, uh, you would change us, God, and encourage us and give us what we need here this morning. And in Jesus' name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> Well, about, um, about every four years, I get fascinated with a sport, again, that I'm otherwise completely uninterested in, uh, when the Olympics roll around. And I'm not talking about curling, in case uh, that was your first thought, was curling. I don't know if that's called a sport. I still, I think the jury's out on that one. Um, but every four years, when the, when the Summer Olympics actually come on, I, I, I get fascinated with watching all the swimming competitions. Um, and otherwise, I just don't care about swimming. But suddenly, for like five or six days, I just love swimming and just become an expert in swimming, in my opinion. Um, and what amazes me about watching those swimmers, because, I mean, I know how to swim. I know how to get in the water and move and whatever. I can clip along at my own pace. What amazes me about swimming that I never learned how to do was the ability to breathe properly, right? The rhythm of breathing in swimming baffles me. I just don't understand. How do you do that? How do you, you're doing this thing, whatever this swim is called, the freestyle? I don't know. I know it's not the back, whatever. Um, the, they're, they're doing this, and it's in perfect syncopation. They're breathing. They come up out of, the, out of the water with their head. They take a breath. They stick their face back in the water. They blow out the bubbles. They come back up, and they just go lap after lap with just this perfect breathing going on. It's amazing to me. I'm blown away by it because I can't do it. I just don't understand it. I don't understand how you don't choke and get all kinds of water in your lungs and all that stuff. Um, and, what the, and what's amazing is that it's breathing. Like you literally do it in your sleep. I mean, there's not nothing. How can breathing be so technical? How can breathing be so difficult? And it's not if you're sleeping. But if, as soon as you run a race, as soon as you swim a race, Breathing is everything. You actually have to learn, teach yourself how 
to breathe if you want to swim in a race and actually compete. Without it, you would be like me, trying to swim a race. I'd be pulling myself along the line, you know, gasping for breath, spewing out water, standing up in the middle of the race to take a break and then get going again. And, and, and that would be sort of my swimming competition. And for a lot of us, you know, Paul, Paul compares the, the Christian life, the Christian journey, a lot of times as a race. He talks about it like it's a race. He talks about it in Galatians, you were running a race. In the end of his life, he tells Timothy, I fought the good fight, I have I've finished the race. He talks about life in Christ as it's a race. And if it's a race, then in some sense, maybe we need to learn how to, to breathe properly like you do when you have to race in a, in a, in a swimming competition. And that is the, the direction of where we're going this morning. You know, the word spirit actually means um, wind or, or breath. That's the, that's the actual meaning of, of, of the, the word spirit, breath. And you think about it. It's like, just like breathing, I think it's easy to take for granted our breathing ability, and it's easy to take for granted or just kind of forget about the Holy Spirit. You know he's there, but do you really have to pay attention to it? Well, you do if you're going to race. You do if you're going to run a race. You, gotta, you do have to actually pay attention to the, to the Spirit in your life. There's a call here to pay attention to the Spirit in your life. I would say it's a call to learn how to breathe. The biblical language in Galatians, I think, is just simply walk by the Spirit. Walk by the Spirit. And that's where we're going to go today. It's Galatians chapter 5. Galatians 5 starting in verse 16. I'll just read the text here first this morning and then come back and say some things about it. This is Paul speaking. He says, But I say, walk by the Spirit. There's our command this morning. Walk by the Spirit. And here's a promise. And you will not gratify the desires of the flesh. For the desires of the flesh are against the Spirit, and the desire of the Spirit are against the flesh, for these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. Now, the works of the flesh are evident sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality, idolatry, sorcery, enmity, strife, jealousy, fits of anger, rivalries, dissensions, divisions, envy, drunkenness, orgies, and things like these. I warn you, as I warned you before, that those who do such things will not inherit the kingdom of God, but the fruit of the Spirit is love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Against such there is no law. And those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passions and desires. And that's as far as we're going to go today. Before diving into the text, you know, the first thing Paul says is, but I say, there's this conjunction, but I say, meaning something else he said is significant for what he's about to say here now with walk by the Spirit. What has led Paul to this point in the text? What's led him to say, now I want to tell you, walk by the Spirit. I think there's a couple things at play here. There's probably more than that, but the two big things that I see here in the text is, one, the Galatians are in danger of rejecting the gospel. 
And all throughout Galatians, that's the point of what Paul is making over and over, is do not reject the gospel. You, you started with it. Don't reject it now. So that there's one danger there. And the other danger, I believe, is that they're um, in danger of using their freedom as an excuse to continue on in sin. So misunderstanding freedom. Regarding the rejection of the gospel, Paul reminds them throughout Galatians. He says this, I'm summarizing, but he's like, if you believe in Christ's work alone, all right, and you believe that that is sufficient for the forgiveness of your sin, and you believe that the righteousness of Jesus is now your own righteousness, then you're good to go. There's nothing else to add to that. Then you believe that by faith, and you are good to go. And initially, they evidently did believe that, at at least it seemed like it, at at one time, And it seemed like they had the Spirit. And now Paul has heard and now is writing to them because it seems like maybe that's not the case anymore since the church was planted. They're they're looking at it now and thinking, well, maybe Jesus is like, it's good. We're going to believe in that. But we're also going to kind of bring some old law that we're used to that comforts us, that helps us. We're going to bring maybe some circumcision back. Maybe not the whole law, but we're going to bring a few pieces of it here and there, just to just just in case. I mean, you never know. You can't you can't hurt to over prepare. You know, when I'm before God someday, and I'm trusting in Jesus, I want to also be able to say, well, I I, I abided by uh, circumcision in the law. Or we might say today, I went to church a lot, God, and I actually gave a lot of money to people, and I served in the soup kitchen, and I whatever on and on and on it might go. This idea that I can add to um, this Christ's work on the cross. Paul's essentially saying, okay, brace yourselves, Galatians 5, 4. If that's where you're at, then you are severed from Christ. You who would be justified by the law have fallen away from grace. It's all or nothing. It's only the free gift of grace received by faith that can set you free of sin and make you right with God. We've sung about that. We've heard that this morning. It's not that we don't hear it. It's that we, we do, uh, the Galatians, and I, I would say even we do at times, think like, well, if I, I should probably just help my, justific- my righteousness a little bit by, by doing some things. It's a real struggle, and Paul's just calling them back to it, saying self-effort is not going to help you one bit. The Spirit is here, and the Spirit is your helper. That's why he's at the Spirit now. Second reason I mentioned was that they have, they're misusing their freedom. They, they Evidently, some of them, they're now free from the law and all these restrictions, and this freedom has now become—we're sinful people, right? People are—we are, we, we have this deeply embedded sinful kind of leaning in nature, and so people realize, hey, I'm, we're free from the law, and they take that freedom now— and are evidently abusing it or starting to, to say, well, I can kind of do almost anything I want, and justifying it by freedom in Christ. And Paul's writing to them to correct that. He's he's at the Spirit. He's talking about the Spirit here to correct that. Um, And I think, just like the Galatians, we're, we're prone to, in those moments, when we talk about freedom in Christ, uh, we, we, we have kind of this instinctive knee-jerk reaction to go back to the law in some way ourselves, too. We want to write a new law. Okay, we won't go back to Leviticus, but let's write a new law for the church today to make sure we don't wander into sin with our freedom in Christ. And I, like, so growing up in the church, 
which is what I did. I don't know what your story is. I grew up in the church. And I just remember hearing about a lot of what those topics or issues were like and the kinds of, kinds of ways that we went about discussing freedom in Christ and at what point are you, you know, wandering into sinfulness and abusing your freedom. One of, early on, it was, it was the music in the church. Honestly, it was whether or not you have drums at your church service. And people ran to their pen and paper and started writing law. Not about opinion, law. Like, no, God would not want a church service that sounds like the bar down the road, you know, with their drums. And they'd write, and churches would divide, and there was called the worship wars, and I saw some of that. Or other issues would come up, like, what's the proper length of a lady's skirt? You know, is it right at the knee? Is it a half inch below, a half inch above? And running off to write law. We like law when we get to write law. And, and, and that's kind of an instinctive thing for us, because it makes us feel like, well, this, this is, there's a safety here. And there's a place to discuss areas like that. There really is. I mean, it's, it's fine. Um, but it's interesting how Paul goes about talking, uh, addressing the situation, because he doesn't go to law. First of all, he backs it up and says, you don't understand freedom, Galatians. You don't understand the nature of freedom. Your freedom exists not for you, not for your happiness, primarily. It's so that you're freed up to love others, to serve others. He talks about that in the passage just above. Um, don't use your freedom as an opportunity for the flesh, but through love serve one another. The nature of freedom, the guiding principle with your freedom that you have now from the law and now in the Spirit, in Christ, is that you, you love one another. It has an other focus to it. So you, you make your decisions. That, that really affects how you would make a decision um, regarding sin and sometimes the gray issues, sometimes not so much the gray issues, but it, it will help uh, determine the direction of how do you live your life the way God meant, you, meant for you to live it. Well, I, I live it with the other in mind, that I might love my neighbor, which, by the way, is the heart of the law in the first place, is to love your neighbor. So, God, so Paul gets there. He says, let love lead the way. But we know that principles don't change hearts. Principles are good, very good, but they don't really change a heart at the end of the day What's, what happens is, like, I love myself. Like, I know I should do it out of love for my neighbor, but I have my own sort of, like, I love me. And a lot of times I don't love my neighbor. I don't love anybody like I love myself. I don't care about anybody like I care about myself. What do you do then? How do you actually live this out, this let love lead? How do you let that become, the, like, a norm for you in your life, something that just is the way it is for you. Not maybe perfectly, but it is how you live your life. And there, Paul again doesn't go to the law. He goes to the Spirit. And that's why we're here talking about walking by the Spirit. That's, that's Paul's answer to that question. Walk by the Spirit. So let's take a closer look at the command. Walk by the Spirit. <clears throat> um, you know, to walk is just a... Paul loves the word walk. He uses it 30 times in the New Testament, and, and it's all over in the Old Testament, too. Walking is just everyday life. It's this idea of everyday life. You get up and you walk. Paul is saying, he's, he's talking about everyday life, walk by the Spirit. It's like 
maybe in our conversation, sometimes we might say, like, well, how's your walk with God? What's it look like? All that means is, like, what's your daily life with the Lord looking like these days? You know, it's just, it's just walk. It means every day. And I mention that because that's different than, like, in Ephesians. I think the last time I preached was out of Ephesians where Paul says, be filled with the Spirit. Well, that's a little bit different. That's, that's God's people coming together kind of like this. It's kind of like a Sunday service. And, and worshiping and praying and singing songs and fellowshipping with each other. And that's, 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 that's just a little bit different than what Paul is saying here with walk by the Spirit. Um, both very important, very, very much a part of our lives. But um, that would be a little bit of the difference. Walking is just simply everyday life. You roll out of bed tomorrow and you carry on with your day. Walk by the Spirit. So, uh, moving on. By the Spirit. By the way, we're going to spend most of our time in the front end of this text here this morning. The, the last bit goes a bit quicker because it's a couple of long, couple of lists there. But by the Spirit, I think this is critical to understand. It was one of my big questions coming to the text. Was walk by the Spirit. What does that mean and then how do we do it? Um... By the Spirit here is this idea of keep on being empowered and keep on being led by the Spirit every single day. Keep on being empowered by the Spirit and keep on being led by the Spirit every single day. And it is a command, meaning it requires a response. Like, it, like we, have, we have small children in our home and we... There's a lot of commands that, that come out of our, our mouths, like wash your hands, it's time to eat, or clean up the playroom, or whatever it might be. There's lots of little commands that happen, and even anytime you make a command, and if you don't get a response, you make the command again until you get a response. That's the idea of how a command response works. Here we're commanded, keep on being empowered and led by the Spirit, so we have to respond Actively, There's a conscious, active, intentional response to that command. Um, you know, remember, it's like, it's, it's, it's easy to think that it's like breathing again. Like, oh, well, I just, it just happens. I just wake up and go about my day and I'm walking by the Spirit. Wrong. That's not true. You don't just walk by the Spirit when you get up and, and tear into the day. It's actually a command and there's actually some type of response. It's learning to breathe so that you can run your race, so you can jump in the pool and keep on being nourished by the Spirit throughout your race of that day, whatever it looks like. So, what does it look like? Right? What is the question? What, what, what's the way that we can just figure out if we are walking by the Spirit or not? I would say, I've got a few suggestions for you. Firstly, be aware of the Spirit's presence with you at all times. Just, that's not mystical. That's not weird. It's be aware of the Spirit's presence with you all the time. It's an intentional, thoughtful, heart-engaged engagement of the Spirit is with me. And I don't think we do this really well. I know I don't do it real naturally or real well, honestly. Um, maybe because I'm busy, maybe because I just am in a habit of, of self-sufficiency, maybe that's your story a little bit, and, and you can go two or three days, and, and really, I don't, even, I don't think I've even thought about the Spirit's presence with me at all. 
I don't think it comes natural. But here's some diagnostic questions in case you're not sure about yourself. Um, I'm getting this from Jared Wilson. He, he wrote a book called, he's a pastor, and he wrote a book called Supernatural Power for Everyday People. It's a very simple, small book. But he had a helpful list of diagnostic questions regarding this idea of, am I, walk, am I aware of the Spirit's presence in my life? And here's, maybe you, this will help you. I didn't take all of them. I took a, a handful of them. Do you constantly or often feel hurried even when you don't need to be? Constantly hurried even when you don't need to be. Do you waste a lot of time watching TV or browsing social media? You waste a lot of time doing that? Do the status updates or images from your happy friends online stress you out, irritate you, depress you? Or tempt you even to jealousy. Here's another one. If a neighbor or a family member buys something new, do you pretty much just think immediately, how can you get that thing too? Uh, Do you feel trapped in a regular cycle of dysfunction or conflict with people close to you? Do you struggle with regular church service attendance? Uh, Are you too busy in the morning and too exhausted in the evening to spend any focused time reading your Bible? Do you pray only in moments of crisis crisis as kind of like a last resort in your life? And if you would say yes to some of these, which I would, so I think there's probably some yeses here. If you'd say yes to some of these, there's a good chance that you lack or that you suffer from just a, a lack of awareness of God's presence with you all throughout the day. Diagnostic diagnostic questions to try to help you sort that out. Um, Richard Lovelace says it this way. I I think this quote is on the screen for you. It's a little longer. He says, We should make deliberate effort at the outset of every day to recognize the person of the Holy Spirit, to move into the light concerning his presence in our consciousness and to open up our minds to share all our thoughts and plans as we gaze by faith into the face of God. We should walk throughout the day in a relationship of communication and communion with the Spirit mediated through our knowledge of the Word. And I just love what he says initially, deliberate effort, deliberate effort. It's learning how to breathe in your race. It takes some deliberate effort effort. It takes something conscious in in you. It doesn't just happen, right? Lately, not always for sure, but the last few weeks, I'll occasionally wake up in the morning with, um, with this sort of deliberate, like, the Lord's with me today. The Spirit is with me right now. And it's not a long conversation, then I'm thinking, where's the coffee? But initially, like, getting out of bed, getting the sleep out of my eyes, the Lord's with me right now. And I'll, I'll tell you what, it's like, it's like going out and turning your car on in the morning to warm it up before you take off for the day. It just, there's something that has been very helpful for me, and it hasn't been every single morning, but I have noticed it a little bit more than maybe ever in my life. And move on with the day, go spend some time with the Lord, you know, do my, do my routine. But just that initial second of just getting out of bed, oh, the Lord's with me today. This is not a day I face alone. This is a day I face with God. He's, he's inside of me. 
He knows what's going on. He knows all my thoughts. He knows what's in my heart better than I do. And okay, where's the coffee? Again, moving along. So, so it's like that. It's this intentional, conscious effort to be aware of his presence with you. Here's another suggestion would just be to read your Bible with the Spirit, okay? Not to read your Bible to check it off the list, not to read your Bible to stay on your reading plan solely, like that's all there is to it, but reading your Bible with the Spirit. He inspired the text, lives inside of you, has, is speaking through this text, and if you, and I'll do this too, because sometimes I get super task-oriented and I just like I check things off my list. Um, if you just kind of like plow through it and read your three chapters, close the Bible, and head out for your day, it's very possible that you just totally missed the Spirit that morning. It was kind of just a, um, a self-motivated kind of experience to, to stay on track with something. And, and, and we've all been there, by the way. I mean, I think we've all been there. But pay attention to that. You're meeting with the Spirit. You might only get three verses into your reading for the day, and you just got to stop and pray. It's like, God, I can't go any further. There's some stuff here that I need to work on in my heart. There's some things maybe the Lord's telling you. And if you're on a Bible reading plan, you can make up for it later on. You know, come back tonight, later in the evening, and, and, but, and you know, keep your reading going and all that stuff. So you got to be careful to just read your Bible with the Spirit. Um, be quick to confess your known sins. This is another way to walk with the Spirit, walk by the Spirit. Be quick to confess your known sins, right? One of the Spirit's works that he does is bring conviction. John 16, 8 talks about that. So if you're really not confessing sin, if there's no sin that you ever seem to bring up with your spouse or with other people in your lives, other believers in your lives, um, then you're probably missing something in terms of, keep, of walking by the Spirit. So confess your sins. Pray throughout the day. I think that kind of comes along with what Lovelace was saying in that quote there. But First, Thess- First Thessalonians 5 just talks about praying without ceasing. Just praying throughout the day. Um, uh, another one would be to use your gifts. The gifts of the Spirit that God's given you. We're going to get into um, discussing more of the gifts of the Spirit later on in this series. Uh, in fact, I think Brett might be able to come up and just and just do a little bit of teaching on that as well. So we're going to get to gifts of the Spirit. But, but you, can, you can be praying now and looking into now. Maybe you've done this before. Um, uh, what are the gifts? What, are, what have I been gifted? How has the Spirit given me gifts? And am I using these? You know, that would be a way to walk by the Spirit. Be sensitive to His leading throughout the day. On and on it goes. You could add to this list, but that's, there's not like a secret formula. But it's, that's it. I mean, that's the kind of thing I think that Paul is talking about when he says, be empowered and led by the Spirit all the time, every day, as you walk with God. Now, after that, I said that's the command. There's this promise that comes on the heels of it. If you are walking by the Spirit, you just won't gratify the desires of the flesh. It just won't happen. You're going to be so actively walking with the Spirit that there is, there is no gratifying the desire of the flesh. Why is that? Why? Verse 17. This would be just the second, second point here, but it's just really a feeling out of the details of walking by the Spirit. 
Verse 17, understand, you need to understand that the spirit and the flesh are always fighting. Here's the way Paul says it. For the desires of the flesh are against the spirit, and the desires of the spirit are against the flesh. And these are opposed to each other to keep you from doing the things you want to do. So the the Holy Spirit and the flesh are like eternally at at war with each other. There's a fight there. There's no... There's no non-fight ever going on. There's no time of peace. There's no t- relaxing from each other. Um, there's, no, there's no common goal between the Holy Spirit and your sinful flesh ever. Your perspectives, the perspectives of the two are completely different. The Holy, your, your, your perspective now in the Holy Spirit as a follower of Jesus is totally different than your perspective before you were a follower of Jesus, or in your sinful flesh. They're just, they're looking at things with uh, two different goals all together. You fundamentally think without Christ or in your sinful flesh, all you think is, how do I get what I want today? How do I make myself happy at any cost today? Within, you know, within, the, within reason, within societal reason or whatever. But in Christ, your paradigm has shifted, right? You realize I've, I, uh, I exist for the glory of God. And so actually, like, my desires have actually changed, and they've shifted to where I ask that question very differently. How do I glorify God today? How do I, how do I, how do I make much of God in my life today? And so those questions are different. And I think there's a bit of a warning here that Paul is, is saying. I'm, you know, I think the main direction of the passage is super positive, but there's a little bit of a warning here for us when we read verse 17 about the desires of the flesh and the spirit. And that is, don't ever get friendly with sin. Don't ever think that you, can, you and sin can get along well together. That there's a one little place where it's okay to have it there. You can stick it in your pocket and it's, it's not going to hurt you. That's just not the nature of sin. It always seeks to destroy. It always seeks to uh, devour and own you and... Um, You'll never make peace with it, so don't ever try to. But don't lose hope either in this, in this struggle that we have with sin. Verse 18 is an extremely helpful or, or hope-filled verse here. Paul drops it in. Verse 18 says, But if you are led by the Spirit, you're not under the law. That is, you're not under the condemnation of the law anymore. If you're led by the Spirit, you, you, you are actually, the Spirit is leading you toward, toward joy, toward freedom of your salvation. I think Paul has in the background here, in the back of his mind, as he writes this verse, Isaiah 63, verse 11. You can put that on the screen. Isaiah 63, 11. I think this is kind of, in Paul's mind as he's talking, he says, Then he, being God, remembered the days of old of Moses and his people, saying, Where is he who brought them out of the sea with the shepherds of his flock? Where is he who put in the midst of them his Holy Spirit, who caused his glorious arm to go at the right hand of Moses, who divided the waters before them to make for himself an everlasting name? Who led them through the depths? Like a horse in the desert, they did not stumble. Like livestock that go down into the valley, the Spirit of the Lord gave them rest. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. There's that word, led. So you led your people to make for yourself a glorious name. And in the same way, 
back there. That, that a text from Isaiah, from Isaiah is talking about when God took Israel out of Egypt, out of slavery, out of bondage, out of helplessness, brought them through the Red Sea, brought them through the, through the wilderness, to this promised land, gave them rest. That same spirit is now, is now taking you, taking us as the church, out of our own slavery, out of our own bondage, and leading us into our, our salvation, into the joy and the freedom that God provides for us. Catch that. The Spirit is leading you in that. The Spirit is leading us in that. Don't miss it this morning. That's the, the Spirit does that, not the law, not your, not your white-knuckling it through life. The Spirit will lead you into freedom with regard to your struggle, your ongoing struggles with sin. The Spirit will do that. He'll fight for you. He won't stop fighting for you. So don't despair. Don't hide. Don't give up. Don't, don't run away. The Spirit, God himself, is fighting on your behalf to bring you into freedom. Sin will not win, essentially. And Paul's saying that the Spirit doesn't, he's got a great track record, never fails. He will lead you into freedom. So moving into this list now, Paul continues his thought. Um, these opposite things going on between the Spirit and the, and the flesh. And he says that the flesh and the Spirit, you know which one's at work because they have very different fruit. They produce different things. So, so here, here's what they look like. Here's what they produce in your life, in your community of people. <clears throat> Uh, the first three here in verse 19, the works of the flesh are evident. First three are, have to do with sexual sin, um, sexual immorality, impurity, sensuality. Uh, sensuality would just get at the idea of um, just a total lack of self-restraint sexually. I mean, just, just like, a, like a party animal type person. No, no restraint at all. That would be sensuality. Um, the next two are pagan religion, continuing on. It'd be idolatry and sorcery. Idolatry, meaning worshiping anything other than God. Sorcery for the Galatians, that they would have known this. There would have been a religion um, or like a sorcery type of practice going on where it'd be magic or drugs or poison or these kind of different things. And um, Paul's saying, none of that. That's, that's all a work of the flesh. Today I would equate that more to, maybe in the church, more to like just adopting other religious Practices. I mean, other kind, kind of taking a little bit of this, um, taking a little Buddhism into life, taking a little bit of this Eastern thing over here that they do, and sort of bringing it into my relationship with God, and thinking like this is this is this is a good way to, to move forward. Um, I think Paul would say, no, no, that's that's connected to my to the sorcery problem. That, that's a different religion. It's essentially different. So have no part of that. Uh, the next eight are community relationships. Moving on in verse 19. Enmity. Strife. Strife being looking for a fight. Always looking for a good argument somewhere, right? Um, jealousy. Fits of anger. Uh, rivalries. Dissensions. Divisions. Uh, envy. All community-based, kind of like this is what the work of the flesh does. It disrupts community in these ways. And the last two 
Go back to kind of the pagan lifestyle stuff, drunkenness and orgies. We know what drunkenness is. Orgies there would be like a wild party characterized by lots of drinking, lots of food, and and lots of sex, basically. And just, just wild. There's your works of the flesh. And I think he's in part saying, he's trying to clarify it, say this is what it is. Let's not be confused about it. But I think it's also in part there for us to test ourselves. To say hey, my heart can get kind of hard. I could probably, there's probably some things on this list here where I'd say, oh yeah, that's, I see that in me. You know, I'm kind of, I kind of look for for arguments with people. I look to pick fights with people or something like that or or, um, have these outbursts of anger or something like that, which includes road rage, by the way, I would say. (laughs) And so there's a little bit of a check for our own hearts here where Paul is saying, "Here's, here's what I mean. But check your heart about this stuff, too, because you'll probably see some of this stuff. You might see some of this in your own life. And where we do, again, it's confession. It's naming it. It's bringing it to the light and then turning again to walk by the Spirit. So you'll see it, but it doesn't mean it has to stay. Now, fighting sin in the Christian life, this was helpful for me. I came across an article this week, and it, the way this guy said it, it was on a Desiring God post. Uh, he, he, just, he just clarified it saying, fighting sin, just so you know, it's not the essence of the Christian life. Like, it's not all about fighting sin. That's not the essence of it. It's, it's essential in the Christian life. You have to do it. If you're not fighting sin, right, if you're never confessing sin, then chances are you, you really aren't getting the sense of what it means to even be saved from sin. Like, if you're fine anyway, then what do you need Jesus for? Right? So if there's not a fight going on with sin, then, then there's, that's a big warning sign for you. If there's no confession of sin, that's a big warning sign in your life. Well, then what does Jesus mean? I mean, what's the, why do you even care? Right? So fighting sin is essential. It's actually evidence that God really is in you and that the Spirit really is in you is that if there's a fight going on still. But that's not the, that's not the essence of, the, of our, our Christian life. It's like this. You don't, you don't go camping to kill mosquitoes, right? If I came and asked you, what are you doing next week? And you're like, I'm, he- I'm taking the family, and we're going up north, and we're going to go kill mosquitoes for a few days. And then we're coming home. That, man, that's a pessimistic view of camping. I mean, you clearly shouldn't do it. It's, you, you're, not, you're, not in the right, um, you're not going the right place for your fun. You don't go camping to kill mosquitoes. You go, to, you go camping to have fun or some kind of experience or some kind of enjoyment, right? <clears throat> now you've got to kill mosquitoes along the way. It's important to kill mosquitoes. And you've got to have a strategy. I mean, you can't show up at 10 o'clock at night, start putting the tent together and realize, oh my goodness, our tent has holes in it and we didn't bring any mosquito spray. Terrible experience you're about to have. You're not going to sleep. It's going to ruin your camping trip. So you've got to kill them. You've got to think about them. You've got to prepare for them. But you're there to camp. I mean, you're there to have fun. And I think, I think in, the, in our, our Christian journey, man, God is leading us in joy. He's leading us in light. He's, he, leads God, he leads the Israelites to the promised land for what? For rest. If, for enjoyment. And there's, there's a delight there. Don't miss that. The, the, the direction of this passage is crazy positive. It is, there is, there's a glorious freedom there. Just walk by the Spirit and kill the mosquitoes along the way. You're just going to have to swat at them. But keep swatting. 
<clears throat> it is for freedom, Galatians 5, 1, that Christ has set us free. Stand firm, therefore, and do not submit again to the yoke of slavery. The list switches then to um, the fruit of the Spirit. We'll read that in verse 22 here. The fruit of the Spirit. We've compared the um, works of the flesh. Let's look at the work of the Spirit. But the fruit of the Spirit is love. It's joy. It's peace. It's patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, it's gentleness, self-control. Against such things there is no law. And what I really just want to say here is um, to recognize the context that we're in again, right? So you got an apple tree, you pick an apple off the tree, you take a bite and it's disgusting and it's not a good apple. Uh, you don't stare at the apple and then try to fix it, do you? You don't, you don't, you don't try to like fix this rotten apple there's something wrong with the tree, right? There's something more fundamental wrong here. There's a reason this apple doesn't taste good. And so when you see this list, and you're like, these are the, this, these are the, this is what the fruit of the Spirit looks like, you, you, don't, you don't, like, parse out the list and say, well, patience, yeah, I just don't see much patience in me. I've got to fix my patience. I'm impatient. That's my problem. I need to become more patient. Well, that's like looking at the apple and hoping it's, it, you figure out how to make it not rotten anymore instead of going to the tree. There's something more fundamental wrong than, than, uh, than just patience. And, and by the way, if patience would be something you would identify like, oh, I just don't see that in my life. Chances are you don't see a lot of joy in your life. Chances are there's not a lot of love in your life. Chances are it's not really just one thing that you're not seeing as a fruit of the Spirit in your life. And I think we can tend to look at the fruit of the Spirit sometimes and think, well, I've got to work on these things. It's a checklist, and I've got I to make sure I'm hitting, hitting the box on all of these, on, on all of these uh, fruit of the Spirit. And that's just the wrong way to look at it. Remember, the context we're in is walk by the Spirit. Come back to the Spirit and just, just walk in His strength and His power. And guess what? You'll be patient. You'll just be loving. You'll just be an apple tree that has good apples. But we can turn this into um, sort of a self-righteous, like, I, I don't feel good about myself unless I see all of these things. And then we just go about the battle the wrong way. Paul's calling us back to the Spirit. Come back to the Spirit. Walk in the power that he supplies. Walk in the leading uh, in which he wants to lead you in. So that's what we want to do. The fruit will show up. It's a totally different list than the previous one. It is beautiful. Uh, and God will do that in you. Lastly, just the final, final point to make here. This is awesome. It's just that your victory is assured in your, in your fight in this Christian life against sin. Your vi- the victory is assured. We talked earlier, uh, was it verse 18, where you're led by the Spirit, right? And, and you know, like, he leads, and he leads you toward um, freedom and joy in Christ. Well, how do we know that? Well, because your victory is assured. Verse 24. Those who belong to Christ, Jesus, 
They have crucified the flesh with its passions and its desires. Those who belong to Christ Jesus have crucified the flesh with its passion and with its desires. And Paul's just dropping right here just the bombshell of truth here. Know this, Galatians. Know this, Christ Redeemer Church. Your flesh has actually been crucified with Christ Jesus. That's not just like a, a, a kind of a mind over matter thing. That's not, a, that's not like him just trying to pump you up in some way. It's definitive. It is true. Your flesh has been crucified. That's why when you talk, when we have the Spirit, or talk about how the Spirit is leading you, you know it's going to be victorious because your flesh has been crucified already. So it's just a matter of walking in his leading. That is the, the basis, the grounding, the assurance we have that, you know what? As hard as the battle might seem at times, it is, your victory is assured. And where you don't believe that, because there's times, I've been there, you've been, we've been there, where I'm just like, is this true? Is, this really, is it really a victorious life? Because I don't feel like it's a victorious life. Jesus rose from the dead, okay? He was laid in his grave. Your flesh was crucified there. Jesus came out, not your flesh. Jesus came out of the grave. The resurrection is what we place all of our hope on ultimately. So your flesh has been crucified with Christ. Christ was laid in the ground. Christ came out, defeated death, defeated the power of death, and that is the victory that you are now called to celebrate and to live in. The reality, of course, we know this, the reality is that the flesh doesn't die very fast. It feels like it's still pretty strong, still pretty powerful. I'm not, I, Paul wouldn't disagree with that in the sense of like its effect on you is still there. St- we still live in a body of flesh. My, it's still... A, it's still like, I'm going to die. I don't have, I'm not eternal, you know. I, I haven't been raised physically from the dead yet. We still live in a world that's fallen and has the effects of sin. But that doesn't mean your flesh wasn't crucified with Christ. You still have, there's still victory in Christ. And you, you just can't tell yourself that enough. It'll, it's just something to keep on coming back to time and time again. And the Spirit will help you in that. Your flesh has been crucified with Christ. If, uh, I'll use a Minnesota, a Minnesota illustration here. You go to the lake, you're on the dock, some, mm, someone thinks it'd be real fun to push you off the dock when you're not looking, right? And maybe you've seen this happen or this has happened to you and it's just a fun little game except you're the one being pushed and someone comes in and, and shoves you off and you didn't see it coming. What's the, if you're, if your reaction time is decent, what's, what are you going to do, right? You're going to turn, you're going to swipe, you're going to grab, you're going to try to pull that person with you. You're going to do whatever you can to keep yourself from falling down into the water off of that dock. And sometimes when, that, when, sometimes when you do that, you, uh, you end up getting a swipe on the person who, uh, who, and get them in the water with you, you know? But that's your natural reaction is to, to pull, to grab, to do whatever you can. Your flesh is... That's your flesh. It's going down. It's not going to make it back up again, but it's going to take some swipes at you. It's going to come at you. 
your whole life, it's going to keep on coming at you. But no, the big picture, what's really going on here, is it's falling. And, it's, and nothing's going to help it get back up. It's going to try to pull you with. It's going to try to say, this is fun. It's fun. I'm fun. You know, there's life here with me. But it's not. It's a dead flesh. It's going down. And we have to endure some of the beating it gives us along the way. You know, but we do that in community. You don't do it alone. If you do it alone, that's a, that's a recipe for disaster is what it is. We don't do it alone. We, we fight together. We, we celebrate what God has done in Christ together. We move forward together. We walk by the Spirit together, not hidden. And when we, when we get knocked around by the flesh and our own hearts are, are sinful and deceitful and we find ourselves doing things and saying things and thinking things that like, man, this is so inconsistent with what I really believe. I don't know what I'm doing this. I don't know what's going on. You sort that out with God's people. You sort it out with the Spirit. You confess, you repent, you keep moving on. That's what we do. That's how we, that's how we keep on growing in this life. Uh, that's how we breathe We walk by the Spirit, we breathe, and He gives us the strength that we need. That's it. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, I just... um, We, we do just confess to you, Lord, that we, we, we live so often and, and so, so much of our time, God, um, really counting on ourselves and really counting on our own strength and ability, um, Lord, and, and not really even recognizing uh, the sin of that and, and that, that that's totally contrary. It's just missing all the grace that you give us um, in this life by the Spirit to help us through. So uh, we just confess that, God. We confess where we've sinned in these areas, Lord. We confess where we've um, been hardened in our hearts and resisted your spirit, perhaps in some way, God. And we ask that you would help us, Lord. Help us to learn how to breathe. Help us to learn how to take, take you in, how to, how, to, how to be nourished by you, how to be aware of your presence, how to walk in your power, and how to be led by you, God. I pray that you'd help us in this. We need help in it, God. And, um, and uh, yeah, I just pray, God, specifically, maybe for, for those who are here who um, just feel so defeated and feel very much like, I, I just don't see this changing in my life. I don't see, I don't see sin crucified on the, on the cross with Christ. I, I see it very much alive. I pray, God, for freedom there. I pray, God, that you would break through the darkness, that you would shine brightly and gloriously uh, in, in, in those, those people who have that just burden this morning, Lord, in some way, you shine brightly and remind us that we are a loved people by a loving Father who um, is not going to let us go, is not going to abandon us, um, who's not surprised by our sin, not surprised by the things that we may struggle with, but instead comes to help us and comes to serve us and comes to convict us and call us back to you. So I pray, God, that you would help us in this. And um, in Jesus' name we pray. Amen.